Welcome to the Junkyard Outreach. This is Todd. Thanks for joining me as we go through the scriptures and learn what we can to draw close to Jesus. For more episodes and information, check out junkyardoutreach.com. And now, let's dig in. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so there the Apostle Paul making this declaration that we have been justified by faith. We've been declared innocent by faith. A true faith means that we surrender to Christ and we follow him. And because of that, we have peace with God, not the peace of God. That's something interesting to note here. We have peace with God. The war is over. Many unbelievers don't realize that in our lives of rebellion, we are at war with God. We stand as an enemy of God. I was like that forever. And when I read this verse and realized, man, I now have peace with God, it clicked. The war is done. I'm no longer at war with God because he was my enemy and I made him my enemy through rebellion. We all stand guilty before God for our rebellion against him. And the scriptures paint a bleak picture of humanity and its continual defiance towards God. But for the child of God, there is hope for the hopeless. In a courtroom, the judge renders a verdict for a person on trial for whatever offense. And the gavel or that hammer that the judge holds, it drops and the judge declares the defendant innocent or guilty. For those children of God who have surrendered their lives to Christ and have been born again, the verdict is innocent. Not in the fact that we didn't commit the offense, the rebellion against God, rather innocent because the sentence for our offense, the punishment for our offense has already been carried out by Christ on the cross. He received what we deserve, which is death, so that we may receive what he deserved, which is life and glory. He took our place in the courtroom and paid the debt that we owed. Paul, in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21, says, For our sake he, that's the Father, made him, that's the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we, that's all us boneheads, might become the righteousness of God. That process that occurred on that cross wasn't just a Jew dying on the cross in the first century. There were thousands of Jews that died on the cross in the first century. That was God in the flesh paying the price for sin for fallen humanity, so that we, fallen humanity, could be reconciled to God and reestablish that relationship we had in the garden where everything was good. That's what you get with Jesus. You get forgiven and you get reconciled. And we've been given salvation as a free gift, meaning we cannot work our way into righteousness that God would see worthy of being called one of his children. In other words, we can't do good things. And God's like, man, you're so good. I'm going to call you holy. I'm going to call you righteous. You don't need my son. We got you covered. You, you, you have been perfect. There is no flaw in you. And of course, that's ridiculous. And that's why fallen humanity can never come to God without a blood sacrifice paying for the guilt of their wickedness, because we're all guilty. We simply cannot ever achieve holiness while in these miserable bodies on our own. They no way. But through the sacrifice on the cross, we now have inherited royalty, not by our own works. We're not worthy by any means, but because God gave us the free gift. And this is huge. 
In Romans chapter 1, verse 5, this is Paul talking about Jesus, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, that's all the believers, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. There's a ownership that comes with faith. We are now surrendering ourselves to Christ. That's what the word bondservant implies. It's a word that means servant or slave, a voluntary slave. And that's what we are when we become followers of Christ. We become a slave to him. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So, yeah, there's more to it than just saying, yeah, Lord, I accept you. It's a life that I want to please you now. And crucifying the flesh, what that means is that means you're putting away all the stuff that we want to do so bad that is opposing the character and the will of God. You know what it is in your life. The things that you do that you feel guilty of, God's like, don't do that. You're like, I want to do it, man. This is me. No. You don't get that excuse anymore that I just have to be me because the me that you're referring to is the natural you. The you that God is referring to here when it says you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ is the supernaturally powered you, and that you is different. That you now has the Holy Spirit, and that's a good thing. And if you're always feeling like you're failing, you just need to surrender to Christ and say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Again, read the Word, pray, and obey, and things begin to work out. We are His. And in him we have hope, even when we're failing. Our hope isn't dependent on our own ability to be holy or righteous or good. Rather, our hope that is in him is that he is our strength. And in him we find holiness, righteousness, and goodness. There's nothing good in us. We're all messed up without him. We're all sinners without him. We're all a joke without him, essentially, in his eyes. Because we think we're good and we're not. But with him... There's amazing things because you get the Spirit of God in you. So there's no need to fret when you fail. You just simply come to the Lord and you rest in Him. You take that time to just regroup and pray and say, God, fix me. I'm sorry for this. Fill me with your Spirit. Give me the empowering of your Spirit to do these things. And He will. This is a real hope, unlike anything the world has to offer. And You know, this isn't something just unique to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Psalm 33, verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His steadfast love. Where is our holiness, righteousness, and goodness in this verse. It's not. None of the hope that we have, nothing, relies on our holiness, our righteousness, our goodness. It's simply those who fear God and hope in his love, those who are real. In Acts chapter 26, Paul finds himself again in the midst of a big melee, and this time it's between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, the Sadducees were the liberals who denied the supernatural, basically everything, the resurrection angels, all that kind of stuff. They were much like the people today that say, well, you know, the Bible's a good source of inspiration, but, you know, they just basically are, are natural-minded people who deny the supernatural. And the Pharisees, who were the separated ones, interesting history on the Pharisees too. There were some righteous people in that sect, but at this point, a lot of them were uh, very self-righteous, kind of the Bible thumper types, pointing the finger at everybody saying that you're wrong and we're right. So they're together in this council, and they're both opposing Paul. And Paul cries out, and he says, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. And he was. And so right there, the Pharisees would kind of perk up and go, okay, he's one of us. And the Sadducees would be like, oh, he's one of them. Then he said, it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. So he throws him his tactical bomb. The Pharisees are like, there's nothing wrong with this guy. Sadducees are like, ah, you know, there's this big fight between them. The resurrection of the dead is clearly taught in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. And Paul knew that, and he knew where his hope was. His hope was in the resurrection of the dead, that this life is not the only thing that is 
to come. This isn't it. This is only part of it. This is the springboard into eternity. For example, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as there has never been since there was a nation until that time. That's talking about the great tribulation that's going to come at some point in the future when the whole world turns upside down and God pours out his wrath on a wicked, unbelieving world, which we're getting pretty close, I think. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. That's referring to the book of life, which is all over the scriptures. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Talking about the resurrection of the dead. They are going to rise again. And this is what Paul was referring to when he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I have hope in the resurrection. This was his hope and is our hope as well, that we should not perish but inherit eternal life. That's where we need to set our sights on the life to come. This life is but a vapor, and then poof, we're gone. The thing to consider is, when you're gone, where are you going to go? Our hope lies in eternity, and because Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith here and now, what we do day by day in Christ has an impact, not only in this world here, but also in the life to come. And as we are faithful here, we're going to be rewarded in eternal life. That's another cool thing about believers. You know, when you die and you stand before God, it's not just like, okay, take your place over there for eternity. It's like, let's check you out. I want to show you what I did through you and a lot of things we don't even realize because we were simply faithful and obedient. And so until then, Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thank you.